Ow! No, that's not the sound I made when I sliced my finger up earlier this week. That is the sound I used to make before I knew about our good friends over at Manscaped because Manscaped, well, they've got the tools for you to take care of your business without getting all nicked up, you know. There's a, there's a lot of variable territory down there, and uh, you think you can just run a razor right through there, you're in for a bad time. You got to have Manscaped. They save you from all those nicks and cuts and all that stuff. And they have an incredible package to offer you guys for 20% off when you use the code DNVR20. Not only will you get the Lawnmower 3.0, which is curated for down under, but you get all of the great products they have. I cannot recommend enough the Crop Preserver. Incredible product. I'll never, I don't know if I'll ever uh, go another day in my life without it. So. Make sure you hit up Manscaped. Use that code DNVR20. Broncos country is Sitting in the south stands Drinking the curves from mile high The best part of the weekend Hugging the perfect stranger As they become a friend Having a good time when the orange and blue WIN Welcome in to the DNVR Broncos podcast. Happy Friday. And of course, the DNVR Broncos podcast is presented by MSU Denver Online. Rigorous, affordable online programs over at msudenver.edu slash online. 40 plus online and hybrid programs plus 750 total classes. So make sure you head over to msudenver.edu slash online to check out all the great classes they have to offer. My boys, happy bum talk Friday. <laughs> We've already started off with ball talk Friday. So <laughs> you might just, have to redirect us to the other side. Yeah, that's exactly. Let's just go to the other side here. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, good stuff, good stuff. How you guys doing? Fantastic. It's a Friday, and I feel like we're going to have some Friday feels on this podcast. It feels good already. Yeah, I'm feeling great vibes today. Beautiful day, long weekend, holiday weekend, Memorial Day, of course, coming up on Monday. So either of you guys going to get the grill going? Because I know I am over the weekend. Mace, I bought a grill like two weeks ago, and I, I haven't even turned it off. Like I just, <laughs> I, I'm just constantly putting more stuff onto mm. it. So you, either make, you make it a smoker when, uh, when you have some more time? Yeah, you know, you just as soon as something comes off, you just throw something else on, see if it works. Uh, <laughs> You know, I'm trying everything on the grill because I, I think I told you guys this. I discovered that when you cook on the grill, you don't have to clean any pans. Mm, and yeah. that is a life-changing discovery. So. <laughs> Just have to clean the, the grill grates. That's all. And that's pretty, that's pretty simple to do, really. Yeah, give them a good scrape. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm out here trying to make PB&J on the grill just to see if it's easier because <laughs> everything else is easier. Honestly, grilled PB&J sounds like it would be kind of bomb. It does. The peanut butter, very melty and soft. Yeah, I just feel like you have to really get the grill hot and just give it a touch on both sides because I feel like if you left it on too long, all the peanut butter would just start leaking out. (laughs) Man, speaking of grilling, I found out today that the way to get um, a crispy skin on chicken is to actually cook it on low. I didn't know that. 
Really? That's, that's what actually I, that's what I heard. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I would do the opposite, because you guys know I love Chris, so I just turn it up to as high as it can be and throw it on there. I'm sure it can work both ways, but I heard you can do it from being on low for a while. It kind of makes sense. It's hard to get grill marks on chicken breasts sometimes. Yeah. That's why, you know, sometimes they're painted Mm -hmm. on when you get them uh, pre-done. What does that mean? You've, have you heard of, uh, like, painted on uh, grill oh, marks? Oh, grill yeah. marks, like if yeah. you buy it Fake. from the store? Yeah, like frozen mm-hmm. stuff, exactly. Oh, God. It's <laughs> terrible. Anyways. The crime against humanity. <laughs> looking forward to this weekend. I don't, we don't really get three-day weekends in the, uh, in the uh, sports journalism industry, but that's okay. Uh, I'll enjoy it uh, all the same. Um, we don't get two-day weekends during the season. Yeah, we don't get weekends at all. <laughs> no weekends. I mean, what are these things called off days? I yeah, mean. last we used to have the Tuesday off day. That doesn't even exist anymore. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, Horse Clock Lock, our good friend, left us a comment the other day about what did giving you say, him. Ryan? You heard me. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's horse clock. It's a clock with a horse on it. Yeah, Yeah. a lot of Bronco fans probably own those in their rumpus rooms and basements and whatnot. What's the what's the dial on that clock? What's the Uh, dial? It's the tail. Oh, the tail. Okay, okay, okay. I was thinking the other side. Sorry, just top Fridays got me confused. Haven't you ever seen like a horse can spin its tail, kind of like a clock? It's really true. Yeah. (laughs) And Mace, you said something about the rumpus room. Emphasis on rump. (laughs) <laughs> well you got me thinking about that with all the bum talk friday and all that i mean shoot uh anyway you're gonna maybe you're gonna grill a rump roast i don't know there you go <laughs> he left us a comment the other day horse clock lock did and he said we should give our mount rushmore of all the, the positions on the football field for the broncos which is really interesting because i know on the denver sports podcast today they are also doing Mount Rushmore's for each team. This will be a little bit more uh, of a deep dive here, kind of in the theme of both of these shows. But I think we'll pare it down to some of the more exciting positions so we're not doing a two-hour podcast before we even get to the comments. So we're going to do quarterback, running back, pass rusher, and corner. Those mm. are the four we'll do. And I guess we start – with honestly one of the more interesting ones, in my opinion, um, Mace, I'll let you start here. Obviously, John Elway is on this pillar, uh, on this uh, this statue. What is it? A monument? That's what it is. It's Carving. on this monument. But uh, <laughs> beyond that, it like, gets a little more interesting. I guess you obviously put Peyton Manning on as well. Yeah, Peyton is easy. And I would even say the third name on the list is fairly easy, and that's Craig Morton, Craig Morton yeah. Elway's predecessor in number seven because of what he did to help elevate the franchise from being this backwater through the 60s and mid-70s to immediately going to the AFC championship game. And then the interesting thing, even though he did that, Red Miller and the coaches, they were trying to find other options. They kept trying to push Norris Weiss, and Craig Morton kept pushing his way back into the lineup and even had his best statistical season in 1981 when Dan Reeves came aboard. So a legitimate ring of famer. The question is the fourth, the fourth face on the Mount Rushmore of quarterbacks. 
Is it Frank Trapuca, the original Bronco quarterback who had his jersey retired, which, you know, you can debate whether that should have been the case or not, but you can't really unretire a jersey, and he is in the ring of fame. You've got Charlie Johnson, who sort of who preceded Craig Morton, was the quarterback for the first Broncos winning season in 1973, helped bring some legitimacy to the team back then. And then you fast forward a few decades, you come to Jake Plummer and Jay Cutler. There may even be some who argue for Tim Tebow. Yes. But I'm going with Jake Plummer as my fourth face on the Broncos, Mount Rushmore of quarterbacks. Three and a half seasons as a starter, three years in the playoffs, one trip to the AFC championship game. Not a ring of fame career, but a, certainly a solid place in the Broncos all-time quarterbacking pantheon. So what does Mount Rushmore mean? Does it mean the best? Does it mean the most notable? Does it mean who brought the attention to the organization? What does it mean? Because who, who's to say that Theodore Roosevelt, Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, and Thomas Jefferson were the best presidents that we've ever had? Obviously, pretty much everyone knows their name. So how are we judging this? I, I mean, I don't know anything about any of those people other than... <laughs> their names and the most basic history you could know about them. So I don't really know how they earned their spot on Mount Rushmore. Ah, so what you said there kind of makes me think that the fourth guy should be Tim Tebow because you said, you know, you know their names. You don't know much else about them. Well, who's that fourth most notable name? In fact, who's the third most notable name that's played quarterback for the Broncos and some people, uh, not Broncos fans, probably not NFL fans, would maybe even put him above Manning or Elway in terms of notable names. If we're going off that basis, Ryan, Tim Tebow has to be in there. Well, I actually, I am looking right now at the National Park Service webpage on Mount Rushmore and oh. why the four presidents are there. George Washington represents the birth of the United States. Mm. Thomas Frank, Jefferson. Frank Trapuca. Yes, exactly. That's the argument for Trapuca. Thomas Jefferson represents the growth of the United States. Morton. Yep. Theodore Roosevelt represents the development of the United States. And Lincoln rep represents the preservation of the United States. So Lincoln would be um, Manning. He like preserved the great legacy of the Broncos when he came here. Um, and then what was the one f before that? Uh, the development. That's, a, that's Theodore Roosevelt. So it's growth, preservation, uh, de development, and uh, let's see, or pardon me. It's, birth. Or yeah, birth, growth, development, preservation. So by those standards, you would go Trapuca, yep. Morton, Elway, Manning. Yep. Yeah, and wait, wow. what, was the, what, what was the third one? I mean, it seems easy right there. It seems like the conversation is yeah. done. Birth, growth, preservation, development, or development and then preservation, however Birth, you want to consider it. growth, development, preservation. Okay, yes. here's the argument for Tim Tebow for <laughs> development. Stop. Development. No. Without <laughs> him, you may not get Peyton Manning. You may not be in that position to get Peyton Manning, to be attractive enough to get Peyton. Maybe you're going after Andrew Luck and then everything changes. So there's the development. 
to you. Okay, then uh, who's who's your birth then? Is it still Trapuca? Or are you saying I mean, that maybe up, it's a- Going by that, it has to be. But I guess you can make the argument that it that the birth is Craig Morton because he kind put of- them Put them on the map. map. Yeah. Right, Yeah, exactly. he did. Mm-hmm. But that's not what George Washington did, really. You know, he was just the OG. <laughs> the, the, the problem with this is if we, talk, if we translate to other positions, what are you doing at running back, for example? Well, yeah, you, it, true. Does the running back position not start until Floyd Little walks in the door? Basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I and guess he you, came in 67, uh, eight, so you, eight seasons into Bronco history. So you would go – what if you went – so you could make the case of birth is Craig Morton, growth mm-hmm. is John Elway, development is um, Jake Plummer or Tim Tebow, I guess, <laughs> and preservation is Manny. Yeah. You yeah. know what the most I, – I like the – I kind of like that one because it, it, yeah. it frees up uh, the opportunity to not just give the first uh, player at that position – the George Washington post ever on every single one of these. That we <laughs> right. Right. So, so yeah. who are you guys going with? So I go, uh, Morton Elway plumber Manning. Me too. And I think it's fascinating. You know, once you strip away these, these titles that were attaching to each player, um, Jay, uh, Drew Locke is, is, does not have to do that much to earn a spot on here. No, he no, really doesn't. With, no. with, I mean, honestly, that third spot is not set in stone, even though it's carved into Mount Rushmore. And obviously the fourth spot is, is wide it's open. quite literally set in stone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. And that's, I mean, Manning broke all these records in four years, franchise records in, in just four years. And, and obviously you have John Elway's records with, with that as well. But outside of that, it's very wide open. Yeah, I, I would say it, it'll take a lot for Craig Morton's spot to be threatened. It is, it's the Jake Plummer or Tim Tebow spot that's really on the edge right now. I, I don't see Craig Morton coming off that mountain for another 20 years or so. One thing that all four of these people have in common is that they served at least four years. And that's my argument against Tim Tebow. <laughs> that's the ring of fame qualification, right? It's four yep. years. Four years, four years on the team, four years out of football. So, so, so Plummer was technically on the team for four years too. Yes. So here's a question for you, though. If you're writing the history of the Broncos, which one of Tebow and Plummer can you, if you have to choose between one of them to write a chapter on, which one is it? Which one can you leave off? Or can you leave both of them off? What's the goal here? Telling the history of the Broncos or selling copies of your book? <laughs> <laughs> telling the history of the Broncos. Um, man. You, you need them both because yeah. the, two of the signature playoff wins, if, if you're going through Bronco history and saying, okay, what are, say, the top 10 single playoff wins in Bronco history, you have to include beating the Patriots in the divisional round when Jake Plummer was the quarterback and you have to include the wild card win over the Steelers. They're both in that top 10. They're both in the Pantheon. Okay. Yeah, so it's and just real quick. It's really, it would be really weird in your book here um, to never have like the Broncos first real quarterback after Elway. Like yeah. you're just like, 
well, so then L.A. retired and nothing happened for a really long time. And then this Tim Tebow <laughs> fella came along and that's how he got to Manning. Like, so you would say you can't leave Jake Plummer out? I, yes, I would say if you, if you left off Tim Tebow, the, the story of the Broncos would have, would have less of a hole. Mm, okay. It, it's asinine to leave, leave either out, though. I it mean, is, it is. Really. So, then, so then let me ask you this question, a silly few questions, but can you write the history of the Broncos without John Elway? No. Can you no. write it without Peyton Manning? No. No. Can you write it without Craig Morton? No. No. Hmm. So then Definitely. you do. So then yeah. you do have to choose. You have to choose Plummer or Tebow. Choosing Plummer all day long. Yeah, I'm for the Mount Rushmore. I'm sorry. He gets a couple <laughs> notes here for me. He's by far the better quarterback. Uh, he was Without around for four years, which qualifies him for the Ring of Fame um, or presidency. He uh, had the playoff success. There's nothing that really Tebow has over Plummer other than notoriety. Um, and and that, that's a case you can make for him. But for me, like you said, if you had to leave out one guy, I think that the first paragraph, uh, if, you, if you had to do it, the first paragraph of the Manning chapter could talk about the Tim Tebow era in just in brief and just say, so, so there's this guy Tebow. He sucked at quarterback. He was really interesting. <laughs> and he always found a way to win. And uh, uh, Peyton Manning said, wow, if he can go 8-8 eight and eight and take a team to the playoffs, I can win a Super Bowl with that group. Sounds like, uh, sounds like Bruce Arians. <laughs> if we can win with Jameis, we can <laughs> win with anyone. <laughs> but they didn't. They went 7-9, and nine, which is why Tom Brady is, <laughs> is a buck. <laughs> oh, by the way, Zach, don't try to put on me that I like Tom Brady. I'm living with him. <laughs> like I said on Twitter, I'm starting to understand that small minority of Bronco fans who were not on board with Peyton Manning. Because I am. I hope the Bucks do well, but I am not a Tom Brady fan. I'm not buying a Brady jersey. I'm not buying a, buying a Gronk jersey. Did that exist? Broncos fans that didn't like Peyton? Yes. Oh, yeah, the Tebow, the Tebow crazies. Not only no, not even them. There was one guy, and I think. I think he actually was based in Tokyo, but used to live here. And throughout the Peyton Manning era, anytime Manning played badly, I heard from him. <laughs> Every time. That's kind of like that girl who can't stand Drew Locke already. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, wait, I just lost my train of thought, sorry. But I think we can probably move on. Oh, what yes. I wanted to say was, uh, did you see that five of the ten top-selling jerseys in the uh, in the NFL right now are different variations of a Tom Brady Tampa Bay jersey? <laughs> I know. It's <laughs> How are there five? Um, you've got well, you you got red, you got white, you've got the pewter alternate, and then there are a couple like uh, fashion jerseys that aren't actually going to be worn oh Wait, really? i thought it was when i was reading it i thought it might have been the different variations of the jersey you can buy so you can buy like the top of the line one or you can buy okay. the okay. second version maybe that's it mm-hmm. I thought but yeah that's but red yeah but like i think didn't red white and pewter all make it in yes all yeah. three mm-hmm. i thought and i thought there was two reds and two pewters that yeah because the, the the pewter is sharp that the that they debuted i'm 
that came out better than I thought it was going to. I may have to buy that one for our Shaq Barrett. <laughs> I would yeah, and fully uh, support that purchase. Yeah, all three of my twelve jerseys are arriving next next week. Oh my god! Shut up. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, this is uh, going a little longer than I thought, so maybe we'll have to save the defense for another day. Let's go to running back here, uh, and again, I'll let Mace. I'll let you hit lead off. Yeah, this is interesting because you start with two obvious names in Floyd Little and Terrell Davis. And you, you can't debate either. They're both Hall of Famers, huge places in franchise history. I mean, literally Floyd Little is the franchise. That's his nickname. If you're doing a Mount Rushmore for Broncos history, there's a case to be made that Floyd Little is on the entire Mount Rushmore. And you can make the case maybe for Terrell Davis as well. So then this is where it gets interesting because the number three all-time rusher is somebody that – 80s Broncos fans love, and that's Sammy Winder, number 23. He of the Mississippi Mudwalk touchdown celebration. He is the only other Broncos running back beyond TD and Floyd with more than 5,000 yards all time. Otis Armstrong, he's got 4,400-plus yards. He actually led the league in rushing once. And then you get into Mike Anderson, no Sean Moreno, Clint Portis, C.J. Anderson. So this is – this is one of the tougher positions to do the Mount Rushmore for once you get past the first two. And it's interesting, like Winder was around for nine years, but there wasn't, he had some good seasons. He was over a thousand yards, but there wasn't a moment where Sammy was really like spectacular. Whereas Otis Armstrong for a brief moment was a spectacular running back before he started slowing down. Clinton Portis for those two seasons was spectacular. So even though Portis is only a two-year guy, I'm putting him on the Mount Rushmore, and I'm putting Otis Armstrong there too. And the, I'm, the, I'm with you on three. I, I just don't know. The fourth spot is really tough for me. And weirdly enough, in the modern times, post in the post-Terrell Davis era, there really hasn't been a Broncos running back who has had a long, sustained – career of success with the team it's been a lot of flashes in the pan it's been a lot of you know an awesome uh couple seasons from mike anderson uh you know uh you had one great season from willis mcgahee you have obviously memorable moments from cj anderson but no sustained greatness so i i don't know enough between the differences of sammy winder and otis armstrong to take a strong take so i think i'm rolling with your uh, Mount Rushmore there, Mace, because I want to make a case for like a Mike Anderson or something like that, but it it feels a little bit disingenuous. I yeah. am I'm shocked that we've gone this whole conversation without even saying Philip Lindsay's name. I'm 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 impressed, Ryan, but uh, I I just thought he may get the preservation nod, you know, yeah. of the Mount Rushmore, especially with the. It really feels like the preservation with the 30 and the connection to TD. And that really does feel like, you know, the emotional preservation and what he's done. Yes, he's only been in the league for two years, but what he's done, he really couldn't have done more. He's been as good as you could have expected. And actually, I mean, better than you could have ever expected since he's the first uh, undrafted rookie to go back to back thousand yards, better, better than anyone's ever done from that position. But I understand since we're doing this right now that 
you probably don't have him in there just because um, it's only been two years. But this is a guy where if things break the right way, and when I mean if things break the right way, if the Broncos decide to keep him, he could easily be in there just from the way his uh, career is projecting right now. Yeah, let me ask you this, Mace. If he goes for 1,000 yards this year, would he have a case? Absolutely he would because that, ta- that takes him to another level. Actually, it'd be, it would be advisable to add up the number of 1,000-yard seasons in Bronco history. And, yes, I know some are going to say, well, you know, being a 1,000-yarder isn't uh, what it used to be. But actually, in some ways, because the running game is being de-emphasized as we go forward, there is a case that 1,000 that a, a yards still matter. And, gentlemen, if Philip Lindsay has a thousand yard season this year, he's second all time in Bronco history in thousand yard campaigns. Wow. That would put him on Mount Rushmore. So where is he now then? He's uh, right there in a cluster in a cluster of Broncos who had two who had two had two thousand yard seasons. What's interesting with Floyd Little guys. Floyd Little only had 1,000-yard season in terms of rushing. What helped with him is he was also a pretty good receiving back, which was relatively rare back in, in that era. For example, Floyd Little in 1968 averaged 17.4 yards a catch. Mm. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, Floyd was a pretty unique weapon, but he only had the 1,000-yard season in 1971 when I believe he also led the NFL in rushing that year. But, yeah, you go for multiple 1,000-yard seasons in Bronco history. You've got Terrell Davis with four of them, and then Mike Anderson, Otis Armstrong, Bobby Humphrey, Phil Lindsay, and Clinton Portis all checking in with two apiece. If Phil gets one more 1,000-yard season, guys – it's a clear on. argument to be made that he, yeah, he's he's, that he and that beautiful hairstyle is going on Mount Rushmore. <laughs> Wouldn't that look awesome? That now, would look great. <laughs> who does he bump off if he does that? Is it Clinton Portis? Because then he has three 1,000-yard seasons where Portis only had two. Because right now, uh, Clinton Portis probably does get the nod from Philip Lindsay because he had a better two seasons. He probably does because – and that's where you start looking at, okay, Portis was only there two years. I'm going to bump Portis before I bump Otis Armstrong because Otis Armstrong did play eight years. He did have a relatively sustained career before injuries caught up to him. He had, Otis Armstrong actually had a season, guys, where he literally averaged over 100 yards rushing per game. Does Clinton Portis get credit for three 1,000-yard seasons in this argument because in two seasons he had 3,000 <laughs> yards? That's, that's why my question is, is Philip bumping him after this season because of just how good Clinton Port? Now, if Philip does it for two more seasons, then yeah, he has more rushing yards than four thousand yard seasons. That's that's pretty clear. But does he do it? What what's more valuable? Three one thousand yard seasons or two fifteen hundred yard seasons? Two fifteen hundred yard seasons is more valuable, um, in my opinion. Especially but, with the touchdowns. Yeah, I mean. He, 29 touchdowns in yeah. two seasons oh. 3,000 yards 29 touchdowns and you traded him and I know it was a good trade but I mean that is just incredible to win that trade you literally had to get a hall of famer back like the Broncos did the first ballot one yep yeah I mean 
there weren't many guys that the Broncos could have picked up in trading Clinton Portis that would allow them to win the trade. But that being said, I think if they'd hung on to Clinton Portis and paid him and he'd stayed with Mike Shanahan, I think Clinton Portis would have been a first ballot Hall of Famer too. Yep. And by the way, guys, his highest season ever when he went for 1,591 yards with the Broncos in his second year, he only played 13 games. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That is insane just how dominant he was. What was the Chiefs game? He had like five touchdowns and 250 <laughs> yards. Yard, yeah. He had um, two, 254 total yards from scrimmage, 218 on the ground, 36 on passes from Jake Plummer, and then the five touchdowns. And, guys – in in a three-game stretch, the last three games he played in that regular season, he had nine touchdowns. <laughs> oh, my gosh. He check, was the offense. <laughs> check this out. For his first four seasons, 1,508, 1,591, 1,315, 1,516. Oh. And a total of 29, 40, 45 touchdowns. Oh, yeah. my goodness. That's insane. I mean, yeah. that is like an easy Hall of Fame pace right there. Yeah, it's interesting. In, the, in his first seven seasons, wow. six of them he played at least 13 games. In all six of them, he ran for at least 1,200 yards. Every time, so every time he played 13 games in his first seven years, he hit, he hit 1,200 yards. Wow. No, every time, then, yeah, every time yeah, in his whole career that he played at least 13. Yeah. And then he fell off the cliff after that. Because Just he got injuries. Hurt. Yeah. Yep. Man, I mean, one day there will – I think there's a case to be made for Clinton Portis as a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I think so too. Going he was dominant. This. He was dominant every single time he was healthy. Well, and isn't that the – wasn't that the argument for, for TD? TD? Now, obviously yeah. a little more strong, but also TD's career was shorter. But that's the argument was he was the best running back. Maybe the case for Clinton isn't wasn't that he was the best running back, but – that, that's the case for Clinton Portis. Yeah, the tough thing for Clinton, the, the case against him, would be after those first two seasons where he averaged 5.5 yards per carry every time he touched the ball. He never got above 4.3, and he had two seasons in there, which yardage-wise were pretty darn good, but he had 3.8, 3.9 yards per carry. Mm. So it just shows you what that Shanahan offense uh, did for him and it's such a shame that you know just in an alternate universe we don't get to see what Clinton Portis would have done if he just stayed in the Shanahan offense you know and somehow they you know they keep things together and he spends his whole career with Shanahan I think the uh, the numbers here would be completely different and we'd probably be talking about a surefire Hall of Famer yeah I mean you said the first two seasons of 5.5 yards per carry average yep well, Terrell Davis, the best season he ever had was, of course, the 2,000-yard season in 98. 5.1 yards per carry. And the rest were in the fours and the threes. Even when he was dominant, they were in the fours. And really, all of this is opening my eyes even more to just what Philip Lindsay's done these first two seasons. With what, what is he averaging right now in his career? Five point, what is it? Five? Is, it, Let me is look. it the same as Clinton Portis? I mean, it's, it's incredible. When you look at that, Terrell Davis was untouchable. He was so good. 125 yards per game in 98. 
and he was at a 5.1 yards per carry average. Yep. So 4. Phil's 9. at 4.9. Yeah. Last year, okay. his best year from that perspective, 5.4 yards per carry. Uh, just – oh, no, the, sorry, that was his first year. That was 5.4. Mm-hmm. Last year he dipped down to 4.5, which still both very, very good numbers. Well, so for his career, TD averaged 4.6 yards per carry – um, and in those first four years, when obviously he was the most dominant, he was at 4.8. So Philip 4.9 shows you what he's done the first two years. Yep. And both of these, you know, um, the those Clinton Portis numbers, he had like almost 300 carries in those two years, which is so crazy that he could get near 300 and, and maintain that 5.5 average. It's just absurd. Phil. It was, inc- uh, was incredible. Electric. Phil, yeah, Phil went from 192 as a rookie to 224 last year. So, you know, it's interesting here. Does Melvin Gordon take more than 30 touches away from Phil throughout the year, do you think? Yes. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Um, Phil, based on his rookie season, which we expect his usage to be a little closer to, even he said that, uh, only touched the ball 192 times and still cleared a thousand yards based on his average you could take away another seven touches from him to get him down to 185 rushes or sorry not touches rushes mm-hmm. get him down to 185 rushes he still would have cleared a thousand yards at that clip impressive very very impressive guys no matter who you choose we're not talking about bums in this conversation no no and it's supremely it's- talented guys I love the fact that you have these opportunities for these current players to crack these Mount Rushmore's, you know, the top of the, the top of the Broncos has been a really, really high peak. Uh, but there is a lot of opportunity for, to fill in the gaps below that. And, you know, that's what guys like Drew Locke, Philip Lindsay, Cortland Sutton, all these guys are looking at as they, uh, as they, as their careers develop. Yeah, I can't wait to discuss receiver on this. Yeah, we'll definitely keep That's coming back to this. That's going to be a lot of fun. We'll, we'll, t- we'll talk receivers. Um, could maybe even go down the route of tight ends. Corners will be fun. Safeties will be fun. So we'll just, get just through. Really quick. Punters! 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 I, <laughs> I, I know we're not going to fully dive into receiver right now, but is Jerry Judy on there already? Yes. Okay. okay. Oh, come on. <laughs> 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 oh man well if you want to have takes such as jerry judy is already a, a, a mount rushmore broncos receiver just call up our friends over at breckenridge brewery uh and pop a, a few strawberry skies down the hatchet and maybe you can start thinking like us um i you know we just we woke i woke up well i guess i was already up a little bit but early this morning we got a message from uh Lindsay, who is our uh, VP of sales, who said, guys, I'm making the rounds today. I'm coming to all of your houses to deliver you Breck Brew. And wow, I mean, I can't imagine a better way to start a Friday than to read something like that. (laughs) Absolutely. Can't wait for the delivery, the personal delivery of Breck Brews. I know. I started calling her Lindsay Claus. (laughs) I said it was the best message I've heard all week. Yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. So we'll be set up. Oh, and I just... Lindsay is at my house right now, so <laughs> there we go. We're going to go uh, get the, uh, the shipment of Breck Brews. But anyways, uh, 
make sure you head over to Breck Brew, get all, get whatever you want. They can also deliver you from the farmhouse food. I recommend the Sweet Heat Wings. They have homemade pies that they'll give you. I mean, Breck Brew really has it all. And if you want good takes instead of bad takes, make sure to check out our Colorado Raptors coverage on thednvr.com so you can learn all about not just the Raptors, but rugby so you know what's good, what's bad, what are good takes, what are bad takes. And make sure to check them out on Twitter uh, at uh, dnvr underscore Raptors. Make sure to check them out on our website, thednvr.com slash er, and then go to the Raptors coverage. Make sure to check out Colton Strickler on Twitter. He's our guy giving us all this great information and make sure to check out the podcast, uh, the DNVR Raptors podcast. Guys, this is the perfect time to learn a new sport uh, and DNVR Raptors has it all from basic 101 pods to, to just showing us the game and telling us why the Raptors are the team to follow. So make sure you check out that coverage on the DNVR.com. All right, right. let's move on here to the questions from our fair listeners. And I'll let one of you guys lead us off. I'll start with Rob. Hey, guys. Nothing Broncos related here, but I wanted to give a shout out to your sponsor, MSU Denver. I got my bachelor's degree there, and it's a great program. The teachers I had were working professionals that geared the classes and classwork to real-world experience rather than teaching case studies out of textbooks. I learned a lot there, and I'd recommend their programs for anyone looking for an education. Here's a story Mace will appreciate. At the graduation ceremony for my master's degree, the first person for each program was given a card that said Masters of blank, and we were supposed to write in the program name, Masters of Business Administration, Masters of Professional Communication, etc. I wrote Masters of the Universe. The guy reading the names at the ceremony was not amused. That's awful. <laughs> I appreciate that's, that's that. That's amazing. <laughs> I bow to you, Rob. I mean, you just got your masters. I think you should be able to put whatever you want on there. He should have wrote Masters of Vation. <laughs> oh. <laughs> then I really don't think the guy would have been pleased. <laughs> Oh, that's beautiful. But it's great hearing like a, a, a true life, real world example of uh, how MSU Denver's education can help. And uh, uh, we're thrilled to have them as a partner and uh, what, the, what they've done to, uh, to raise the standard of, of education uh, here, in, here in Colorado uh, and, you know, and, and help create a well-educated, smart workforce and populace in this state, and especially here in the Denver area, has been tremendous. And uh, we like to say we are Denver, and MSU is Denver, and they're a great partner. Absolutely. Yeah, I love hearing the real-life experiences, so you're not just thinking we're, you know, reading off words at you. That's, that's a real account that actually falls in line with a lot of what we've said about MSU Denver. <laughs> All right, next one here is from Mile High Magic 79 I'm a new face in the comments. Uh, Zach will recognize me from the epic argument I had on his Twitter post about how pointless it is to overpay Chris Harris Jr. last spring. My point was that Vic's defense doesn't rely on man corners as much, but I've been listening since the beginning, and I figured I owed you guys compensation at some point. We got him. Got him. We got him. Uh, Yeah, you got me all the way from the Tar Heel State. In 2006, why was John Lynch put in the uh, Broncos' ring of fame? Beats us. Lynch was a shell of his, uh, of his peak and wasn't great in Denver on the field. Does it also cheapen the honor of being nominated? Will Manning get the same treatment or will he be left off even though he meant more on the field with his, uh, with his time with the team? Thanks, gents. Okay. First of all, no chance 
in hell that Peyton Manning gets left off. Uh, <laughs> it is the most lock of all locks that Peyton Manning will be on there. And the it should debate be. is it should it, be. exactly the debate is will they create a at some point will they give Peyton Manning his own banner instead of sticking his name on below Frank Trapuca's banner as a footnote. That's what I want to see. I want to see Peyton get his own banner at the stadium. Well, first I mean, off, they need they need to do that just because they need to redo all of those banners. Those things are like something I could make this weekend. Uh, they they need to pay a little more respect. It just looks like cardboard things on the stadium. Wow, that's uh, harsh there, Zach. <laughs> I, I kind of like them. Uh, I just think they need to stop making Peyton freaking Manning a footnote <laughs> on one of the yeah. – like, it would be yeah. more respectful to just not even have him up there at all. really would be. I, I sort of see where you're coming from, though, Zach, because I think – they. I don't know if they have it anymore, but at one point at Virginia Tech, they used to – their retired player banners, they actually had a picture of the player on the banner kind of. So you see the number and you kind of – like say Michael Vick, for example, so you'd see the number seven for Vic, and then you'd see an uh, kind of it was fa- it was you know it was faded a little bit, so it was sort of in the background, but you could see the image of the player. Maybe just something like that, something subtle that you've got the number prominent, but then in the background you can kind of see the shadow or the the outline of the player or something like that. Yeah, throw throw a Broncos logo on it from the era they played, and something. Right now, if you guys haven't they seen have it, those. it's it's like they do. Oh, no, never mind. That's on the uh, Ring of Famers. Right, right, right. Yeah, what they have now is just like big pieces of wood with the number painted on it in white and on a orange background and their name on it. That's it. It, it, just, it honestly looks like a nice arson craft piece done over the weekend with some two-by-fours. And you know what really they like should it. do? Yeah. <laughs> but you know what they should do? I mean, now, granted, I love the Ring of Fame plaza. I love the fact that every Ring of Famer gets a pillar. That's been one of the truly great things that we've seen added to uh, the stadium over the years. But for those banners, I would like to see the number and the font for the name reflecting when they played. So for example, Frank Trapuca's banner should be yellow and brown. Oh God, they would never. <laughs> but and, I agree. and Floyd Little's banner should be orange, but it should be the block numerals. And then John, you know what actually you could do? Let's say you're going to have a separate banner for Manning. You could have Frank Trapuca that is that is yellow and brown. Floyd Little is the classic block numbers, orange, orange and blue. John Elway has a blue banner with a white number and orange trim reflecting the Super Bowl years for him. And then Peyton Manning has the current orange jersey style banner. So you represent multiple eras of Bronco history. The only thing that would make this uh, fit into what they have now is Peyton's would have to be like a fourth of the size of Trapuca's. Anyways, why was John Lynch nominated? Because the Broncos got duped into uh, joining the campaign for John Lynch to go into the Hall of Fame on his first ballot. And they lowered their standards and um, honestly uh, – uh, muddied the name of the Ring of Fame by putting him in. Well, wow. it wasn't it wasn't wow. his first ballot. He'd actually been a Hall of Fame okay, candidate okay, for yeah. a couple of years. It was just but, a big push. Yeah, yeah, because then one of the one of the items for John Lynch, and it's part of his Hall of Fame resume now, is that he is in the Ring of Fame, Ring of Honor of two teams because yeah, he's in the, the Bucks Ring of Honor. 
Oh, but man, he, Ryan, it, this is the most you and I have disagreed in a long time. It, it, I, I like John Lynch being in there. Four years, four Pro Bowls. Well, here's another four thing. Four years, I, four Pro Bowls based on his name, not his play. <laughs> the fir, okay, the, fir, the first two Pro Bowls for John Lynch were legit. Right. He had lost a step, but he'd made up for it with anticipation. And he played well for a chunk of his first third season. I argue it's the last one, the fourth one, that it, that was the reputation Pro Bowl because he was slowing down by then. But one thing, at the time, he was the only Bronco to play at least four seasons for the team and make the Pro Bowl every year he was a Bronco. The other thing is, if John Lynch is in, then Aqib Tlaib has to be in, right? So and this is where you start. Don't we want to keep Tlaib in the ring of fame? Doesn't he deserve that recognition? Absolutely. I'm, I'm fine with that. It's just like John Lynch should have been put in the ring of fame like 15 years from now uh, after all the backlog of much greater Broncos was taken care of. And that's where you have a good point because you look at the ring of fame and you have Steve Foley, your all-time leading interceptor, who's not in. Riley Odoms was a two-time all-pro at tight end in the 70s. He's not in. Steve Watson. Great wide receiver in the 1980s. He's not in. Ed McCaffrey's not in. Trevor uh, Price and Al Wilson aren't in. You Mike see what Shanahan is not in. But <laughs> Shanahan wasn't yet eligible. They were waiting to know that Shanahan wasn't going to coach again. Are they yeah, still in the certain about that? <laughs> give well, me a and, break. Well, here's the argument for uh, for John Lynch, and I, I'm not actually. I don't feel too uh, too uh, set in stone on this, but. Peyton Manning, four years, just like John Lynch, three Pro Bowls. Uh, <laughs> also, would you guys feel different? Would you guys feel differently about John or strong, more strong about John Lynch, if the Broncos had not picked the bad day to have a bad day in the parlance of John Fox and beaten the Steelers and gone to Super Bowl Forty, which frankly they probably would have won against a shaky Seahawks team. Yes. Yeah. I mean, obviously that makes a big difference. Um, I guess like my issue is not really with John Lynch himself. It's my, my issue is with the politics of why they put him in and the, the disregard they had for all these other Broncos greats to try and be part of there. And like all this guy needs is like a call from Tampa Bay Buccaneers PR saying like, Hey guys, we're really trying to create a push for John OA uh, or John Lynch hall of fame this year. Uh, do you think you would be able to put him in your ring of fame? And they're like, oh, yeah, we could do that. Like, that just uh, – it drives me nuts. So, that's my case against it. Maybe the Broncos got a trade. One of these trades uh, was at, was included in, in John Lynch going into the ring of fame. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> that's how they offloaded Capri Bibbs for a fourth rounder. Yep. and uh, Or maybe they put in a good word for Shaq Barrett. Like, hey, we don't have a starting slot for Shaq Barrett. But you're really going to like this guy. <laughs> in uh, Tampa Bay as a yes. fan? Could be. Hey. Oh, could be. Interesting that uh, they gave they got a fourth for Capri Bibbs, who was cut a few weeks later, and the Broncos traded a fifth for Dakota Watson, who <laughs> didn't, didn't make the team. Interesting. Yeah, oh. those, those <laughs> trades are very nuanced. Um. From I need a username. Hey, guys, missed the cutoff on yesterday, so reposting. One, take five is the best candy bar. That's with um, peanut butter and pretzels, right? There is yeah, pretzels, so. yeah. Sounds it's good. pretty good. 
pretty good. Never had one. I think uh, one thing to dis it's one thing to dislike the podcast because of a legitimate gripe. But if anyone is curious, the iTunes review troll is just you know what posting threatening our boys personally insulting the Broncos organization, the DNVR bar may sacks physical attributes and stalking Ryan's family. It's pretty pathetic based on all the evidence. He sounds like a Raiders fan. LOL. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, you guys have been doing an amazing job of drowning them out. And in fact, we are only, I believe 14 reviews away from 500 podcast reviews. Uh, you know, if you don't live in the podcast world, that might mean nothing to you. That is a huge milestone in the podcast world. So if you're, uh, you know, just not doing much this weekend, um, try to remember, hey, I should go review the guys on iTunes. If we get to 500, uh, that's, a, that's a really big milestone for us, and it would mean a lot. But anyways, he wants to say, if anyone's interested, there's a way to report the troll on the iTunes podcast reviews. So hopefully his account won't be able to post any more illegitimate reviews that hurt DNVR. You have to do it via computer, not on your phone. But here's a here's a link right here, and he does give a link. It's invisible, but he put it in arrows, so you can just find it and click it. Um, and he says also, if he wants to complain anymore, he can DM me on Twitter at Cole Vosel. <laughs> Thanks for the great content and go Pios. Yeah, go you know Pios. what? Yeah. I like that. And then and then uh, I need a username comments under that. Of course, the one who just left the comment it says, "Great comment, Cole," and I'll agree with that. Great comment, Cole. And look, I mean, it's not that we want that that we want or need everything to be totally positive. Like, there's a five star review right now that we have, and it says constructive criticism. And you know what? That's okay as well. But uh, we're really thankful that uh, all of you uh, were able to get the uh, the bleep poster who you know did, oh, who look. had only a a casual relationship with the Queen's English and get that person knocked down to where there's a bunch of really good, really insightful comments here uh, to lead this off. So thanks to all of y'all for, for that. And yes, thanks for even the constructive criticism that we've got in there. We really appreciate that sort of thing. Yeah. And real quick, I actually wanted to address that because I saw that con constructive criticism uh, this morning and I really do appreciate it. You know, we're, we're always listening to you guys. Uh, as I always say, like this is your show as much as it is our show. Um, you know, he mentioned that there was too much betting talk when we did the over under lines the other day the way i looked at it and again you're welcome to disagree with this from a consumer uh, of the content uh the way i looked at it was just the betting lines would drive conversation about football which i think they did a good job of but you know you're completely welcome to feel like it was too betting focused and that's you know uh, we're obviously going to do our DraftKings pick of the week every week but it's not going to be a full segment like it was that day. We just thought that was an interesting conversation to have about the rookie wide receivers. And really quick, I, I went through and read a couple hundred of the reviews yesterday because I just I wanted to see the good, the bad, the trolls. And boy, that troll one was tough to get through. But all the good stuff left there, it means so much. You, you guys are the mm -hmm. best. We know that every day from this comment section. But it's just too cool uh, what, what you guys say about us and, and bring to this community. Yeah, you know, the stars are one thing. But when you're able to combine four and a half, five stars with the vast number of reviews that we have, that's a really big feather on our cap. So, again, let's try to get to 500 this weekend. That would be amazing. Be great for Memorial Day. Let's do it, guys. Next one coming in from Triad Bronco. Hey, y'all, this may be a longer comment, but bear with me because I believe it is important. Actually, it's not a long comment. While we are all enjoying the best we can this long Memorial Day weekend, let's not forget the reason for the holiday. Thousands of brave men and women who, gave, who have given their lives fighting for this great country. They are the foundation of what makes our country truly great. Also, 
Let's not forget the loved ones they have left behind and their sacrifices are equally as selfless and heavy to bear. Lastly, to all of y'all who out there who are currently in retired military, thank you so much for everything you do for us to be able to seek our own American dreams. This weekend, while we are all grilling and popping tops on some cold ice brews, let's remember to raise a drink for the, for the ones that have sacrificed for us. Greater love hath no man than to lay down his life for his friends. John 15, 13. God bless you all. Great comment. Appreciate that. And, uh, you know, one thing on Memorial Day, it was always easy to remember the national moment of remembrance on Memorial Day at 3 p.m. local time, wherever you are, because baseball games would always stop at 3 p.m. on Memorial Day for that moment of remembrance. Of course, uh, we're not going to have Major League Baseball on Monday, but uh, make sure you take time and take that moment at 3 p.m. wherever you are to uh, to give your thanks and uh, your thoughts for all those who made made this country, made, made our way of life possible here uh, by sacrificing their lives for us. Absolutely. And great comment, Triad Bronco. It's always really important to put that into perspective. Mm-hmm. Missouri Bronco, I have two reminders for our long weekend friends. One is to always remember the sacrifice of our armed forces. We love them. The other is Nick Wright is paid to have worse takes on football than my four-year-old cousin. He defends these takes in front of Chiefs propaganda. As Iceman says, hashtag Go America. (laughs) Absolutely. Go America. Not a better time to celebrate that than this weekend. How about Mace pointing out yesterday that not only does Nick Wright think the Broncos will be the worst team in the NFL, or one of, he believes that they will beat three playoff teams for their three wins, three playoff teams from last year, Bills, Saints and Titans are the three games that he has that how does he have this team in which he says Drew Locke might be the worst quarterback in the NFL that's actually a thing that he said uh how does he believe they beat the Saints I I I don't know I mean (laughs) I doubt he remembers a game like in 1997 where a winless Colts team upset the Super Bowl bound and defending champion Packers in Indianapolis because that's the only sort of thing I could come up with to rationalize that sort of pick it's three and 13 is a bad pick the way he found those wins it was just like he took out a dartboard and said okay uh they're gonna win here 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 and they're making a big deal about how Nick Wright picks all 256 games I really think he just tossed a dart at the Broncos schedule and said okay they're gonna win that one that one that one to go 0-6 in the division ain't happening. I just, I just want to hear him defend this. I've yet to hear him give me a reason why he thinks Drew Locke is so bad. All he said in that little clip was like, speaking of bad quarterback situations, the Broncos might have the worst one. I have them going 3-13. and Like, yeah. what do you mean? Yeah, it's, it's brutal. It's brutal, and that's why you just shouldn't listen to him. You really shouldn't, but whatever it's a freaking pissed friday (laughs) we have to have somebody with a pick so absurdly nonsensical that we can rail about this is an annual tradition now it gives us uh content so for that we think all right next one here is from squeaky bum time which that that name just never gets old (laughs) he says hey fellas mace the chunks of guys like you in my stool had me rolling it reminded me of the movie Happy Gilmore when Shooter McGavin says, quote, I eat pieces of crap like you for breakfast. And Happy responds, ew, you eat pieces of crap for breakfast? <laughs> LMAO. 
He goes on and says, you guys should have a fan contest on who can write the best new intro for the pod. Winner gets a t-shirt or something. Just a random idea I had today. Thanks for all you do and keeping our spirits up every day. Have a great weekend, my boys. BB. Well, yeah, we actually have Pleasure Horse, who, of course, wrote the current intro. Potentially in production on a new intro. And uh, everyone loves the current intro. I, I maybe love it as much as anyone. Uh, but... You know, it 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 span it spanned a long time. It might be a little a, a good time for an update. This goes back before our Breck Brew partnership. It goes back before Mace joined the squad. Mm-hmm. So maybe we just need a you know a little tune up on the intro song. Uh, but we'll see. Next one. Oh yeah, next one here is from Orange Crush. Hey guys, this one's mainly for Zach. But the National Rugby League (NRL) is not the same sport as what the Raptors play. The Raptors play Rugby Union, NRL, and teams like our Brisbane Broncos play Rugby League. You're Both right. are very different game. Mm-hmm. Less stoppages in league. Probably an easier game to understand than Union. I see so many people in America getting this wrong. Keep up the good work, fellas. Well, thanks for, thanks for macing me, Orange Crush, putting me in my oh. place. <laughs> oh. Yeah. It, I mean, still, though, if you learn Rugby Union, you're going to understand Rugby League. Right. Right. Yeah, it, it'll at least help you. No doubt about that. Next one coming in from Selly. And all of his divine and infinite knowledge, Nick Wright let his chief Super Bowl high spill into his 2020 AFC West predictions on first things first. He predicted that Denver will go 3-13 and with those three wins coming against Titans, Saints, Bills. Knock on wood. But let's just pretend we live in a world where Denver goes 3-13. and How does the fallout from that look like for us? Thank you for all you do and keep up the good work. The fallout is nothing short of massive. It's probably a total rebuild. 3-13 and 13 probably means that Drew Locke has struggled, and you're talking about Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence or maybe something audacious like trading for Aaron Rodgers. I mean, no. And, and Vic Fangio probably does not survive. If the Broncos go three and thirteen, they probably go hire a new coach for twenty twenty one. I mean, I would look like an idiot uh, in this scenario, but at least it would be fun. I mean, the Trevor Lawrence Justin Fields sweepstakes uh, would be really fun to follow. Coaching hires, while uh, very taxing on the mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't also- want to think about this possibility. I don't <laughs> think it's going to look. And the Broncos have, to me, they have too much defense to finish. 3-13, and 13, even if Drew Locke fails to launch, and even if the offense struggles. Yeah. Yeah, that this, defense is going to keep them afloat. Yeah, this isn't going to happen, but if there's ever a year where it would be okay for it to happen, it's when you have Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields in the group, and you get That's one true. of those two guys. So the rebuild wouldn't be as bad as it could be. Trevor Lawrence yeah. is literally the only tall quarterback, 6'6 six, six and up, I've ever liked coming out. The Broncos going three and thirteen would be the, the greatest accidental tank of all time. <laughs> yeah. Like a team falling, I don't know, seven, eight games short of where they think they should be uh, is is almost unfathomable without a just barrage of injuries, which of course Nick Wright never pointed to. Um, like the the Broncos. Not only do they have too much defense to go three and thirteen, they have too much offense to go three and thirteen, which is why they aren't going three and thirteen <laughs> in any world. For me, I've got their worst case scenario at six wins 
And I think, and that's without, you know, again, all of your important players getting injured because that's just silly. But, you know, in a, re, in a regular world, I see six wins as their absolute floor. Yeah. And really, that's, yeah, it would take multiple injuries. It would, it, to get to 3-13, and 13, you're probably talking about a season where you have significant injuries to Drew Locke, Cortland Sutton, Vaughn Miller, Bradley touch Chubb, wood, touch wood, Justin touch wood, Simmons. Touch I mean, wood, seriously, it's, it would be the equivalent of – when the Spurs lost David Robinson back in 96, 97, and they went from a perennial 50 to 60 win team to losing 62 games. And oh, they got lucky. They won the lottery and they end up with Tim Duncan. It set them up for another 17 years of success. Yeah. Six and 10 really is worst case scenario. Three and 13 would be better. I, totally. Uh, <laughs> I would have more respect for Nick, right? If he, if he said he thought the whole roster was going to contract coronavirus. <laughs> It's just going to live in the Mile High City. Yeah, I mean, that, at least, again, he would have something pointing to how this is possible. <laughs> that would be incredible insight if he, if he did that. And again, I'll touch wood. Um, Could you hear okay. me touching wood for all those injuries Mace was saying, too? Yep, yep, we yeah, got okay, it. Good, I was, too. We're sma- <laughs> the wood is smashed. Okay, from LDJ, I mean, an absolute novel here, so stick with me. I doubt Pat Shermer's listening, LOL, but I came up with hashtag the Bronco rules for offenses identity for the offensive identity. Bear with me. I just want to address what I feel is important philosophies to success for us on offense. One lockdown CSR lock downfield to Cortland Sutton rule. Let's take shots, let him go deep and let him use his arm and implement the Cortland Sutton rule. Duh. Yes. Of course, the Cortland Sutton rule. Once you cross the 50, you give him a chance in the end zone. (laughs) Two, Movie, movie, from Jerry to Hamilton. I think whatever it requires, uh, whatever requires Locke to throw down that left side of the field, outside the hash especially, needs to go to Judy or Deshaun who can get open. I'm praying Deshaun still can. But this helps Locke get the ball out quick, and Bowles doesn't have to hold up long in pass protection. Okay. Three, the KJ and Albert Omarian touch. You find a way to get them three to five touches, whether in the red zone uh, with Albert O or out of the backfield with Ocho Cinco as an H-back, jet sweeps with KJ or screen pass on skinny deep posts for KJ to get them three to five touches a game. Love it. Also, boys, speaking of KJ, who is on my team in Madden League, he went silly the other night for me. Nine, nine catches, 167 yards, a TD, led my boys, uh, the Eagles, to their first win of the season. We're one and one with a blowout win on our hands, a 50-burger yes. the other day. Yes, your first 50-burger I hear. Yes, first 50-burger first in my career. nice. That's big uh, time. The new offense was humming, and honestly, it all surrounded K.J. Hamler just going off. So, shout I out. Got, did you put up like 48 points in your first game, but the other team dropped 50? Nope. The first game, I only scored 14 points. Wow. And we fired our offensive coordinator um, <laughs> and brought in a whole new offensive scheme. You think I'm joking, but I'm not. Uh, in one week, huh? Yeah, we put we installed an entirely new playbook in one week. <laughs> wow. A, a customized playbook made for my players' strengths. My previous coordinator was way too caught up in scheme. This new coordinator is all about playing to the strengths of guys like KJ Hamler and Christian McCaffrey. 
And, uh, yeah, he not only did he win his first week, he's already received a contract extension. <laughs> oh, wow. Was this guy brought in from the outside? Yeah. Uh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> you don't actually get to pick your coordinators, but you do get to pick your schemes. So I did fully change my entire offensive scheme in one week. <laughs> Seems to have worked. I'd say so. All right, next rule here is Noah's arc. Noah has to have everything by twos, right? Create plays in the seam for Noah to make explosive plays 20 yards per catch or touch. I'm surprised that in this rule was not included no end arounds to Noah. <laughs> Last but far not least, our secret weapon, weapon 30. This is the most important part of our offense that leads us to winning. It's the way to beat the Chiefs without having to do shootouts every time, in my opinion. Melvin is your starting running back. He is your bell cow. Bad idea, but I'll keep going. And when uh, defenses are drained and tired from trying to stop and neutralize all this talent that they can't match up with, you unleash a healthy, hungry Phil on them, and he gashes defense for a nickel plus per play. Let Phil loose. This part requires team-first mentality. I feel for Phil, but Melvin would have to understand being pulled at this point in the game for Phil, and Phil would have to deal with Gordon being the bell cow, knowing him as a change of pace at the right time would be huge for our offense. Red zone, honestly, I'm not worried about. For what it's worth, Drew threw a lot of touchdowns in college for a reason, and I remember PFF evaluating Drew's red zone efficiency as a strength. I looked up the numbers. When he got to the red zone in the five games he played last year, he was damn good. He threw only one interception inside the 20, and that was that desperate fourth down play that was just a desperate Hail Mary. He's got a 64% completion percentage inside the 20 and a 60% completion percentage inside the 10. Drew is badass in the red zone. My philosophies are based on moving the ball better and his yards per attempt going up. Anywho, have an awesome weekend. Let me know if the book of LDJ leads the Broncos to a path of a top 10 offense. <laughs> I love it. Hashtag. <laughs> The Bronco rules for Pat Shermer right there from LBJ. Should we forward these to Pat and just say, hey, we got some ideas for you? Pass them <laughs> <along> here. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, yeah, those are, those are good rules to live by. I'll tell you what, LDJ. Mm-hmm. Next one coming in from Sam Monkey 27 Good day, gents. Just bought tickets to the Broncos versus Pittsburgh game in hopes that fans can actually attend. I even got my wife to sport Broncos gear. She is a Raiders fan. It was part of my anniversary present. My wife and I eloped in Colorado in 2018 and got married in Corwina Park on top of Panorama Point, Panorama Point on May 25th. It was an awesome experience, and we got some beautiful pictures out of it. I couldn't agree more with Pitt being our AFC rivals. Living in Pennsylvania, Steelers fans are worse to me than Eagles fans. I cannot wait to sit in a sea of yellow and watch Drew dismantle those black-yellow bums. Happy Memorial Day, everyone, and Sand Monkey joining in on Bum Talk Friday. I like it. You know something about the Steelers, and I, I've been thinking about Patriots, Steelers, non-division rivalries. Just over the years, it seems like the games against Pittsburgh, even regular season games, something notable happens. Like Shelby Harris with the, you know, reaching back and getting the interception of Ben Roethlisberger in 2015 when the Broncos go to Pittsburgh they Zach you trying to say something no no you're you're okay. killing me all right in, in 2015 the Broncos lose a lead 
and of course you have the Trevor Simeon kneel down. I even think back to a game in uh, 2003 when they played. It was Tommy Maggs coming back to Denver and the Broncos winning on a late field goal and Steve Berline struggling but finding just enough at the end for a close win. They, they just they always seem to play really high leverage, high stakes, memorable games. So I think that that's part of what sort of lends itself to this rivalry and both Pittsburgh and Denver are phenomenal football towns as well. A lot of, a lot of great old school fans in both places. To me, they just kind of, they just kind of fit together like peanut butter and jelly. Love it. And what fits together like peanut butter and jelly is your balls and manscaped <laughs> support for today's episode comes from manscaped. They have the right tools to get the job done quickly, safely, and hygienically. Father's day is just around the corner and you probably need a great gift for your dad. Make your dad proud this year. Get him the Manscaped Perfect Package. And honestly, it's a, it's a Father's Day gift that also your mom might uh, approve of as well. And I know you don't want to think about that, but we are all mammals here. Uh, use the code DNVR20 to get 20% off your entire order for Manscaped. And speaking of uh, perfect packages for men or women or anyone, Denver Rubber Company can make the perfect package for you however you want it. Guys, they can do orders of anything. Bulk, specific orders. Denver Rubber Company can do it all. And they've been open this entire time because they are an essential business. They're helping out the medical industry, military and defense, government, wind energy, food and beverage industries, anything rubber that you need they can certainly help you out. So check them out at 1-800-259-0010 or visit them at drcfirst.com slash dnvr. They've been around since 1972. And like I said, they can do absolutely anything. So make sure to check out Denver Rubber Company. Zach, your um, very imperfect transitions have become a cult favorite in the DNVR community. (laughs) Very imperfect, you say? But yeah, the more that they, you know, they, they're kind of a stretch, like Denver rubber stretches for you. Uh, and honestly, they get better every time. Like the worse they are, the better they are. So keep them coming. I absolutely love them. Well, they're real and honest. That's what I love about them. It's, you know, it's, it's nothing fake, nothing forced. It's just real. No, it's extremely forced, which is what makes it great. Yeah. But it's just, it's the attempt. It's, you know. Sometimes it's better to have something that comes across a little awkward, a little messed up. You know, that's, <laughs> I'm good at doing right. that, being awkward and, and a little messed up. Uh, we all, we all are. Zach Zach, Zach's like trying to tie um, the front bumper of a car on with a shoelace. Like that's, <laughs> that's you know, the connection there. That's how loose the connection is. You know, I did uh, try one time trying uh, to tie on a bumper. Uh, a back bumper with some probably just a little better than a shoelace and it ended up where at the top of of Loveland Pass we had to pull over in a snowstorm rip the bumper off throw it in the back of the car to continue our drive so yeah that's how those work for me my first car I got into an accident with it and I ended up like duct taping in the uh, headlight uh, (laughs) like super gluing some stuff on it was it was quite the, uh, you know, I'll say this. When I was 15, I thought it was such garbage that 16-year-old boys' car insurance was more than 16-year-old girls' car insurance. 
And now with some experience under my belt, I uh, believe that is completely the right decision on the part of the insurance companies. <laughs> and I, I think among my friends was one of the better drivers and I still sucked at first. <laughs> yeah, they, they do have a reason for that, don't they? Yep. You know, 16 year old boys, just not the best decision makers. Mm, probably, but they think they are. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Next one here is from Drew Laka. Hello again, gentlemen. I was listening to the Mina Kimes podcast the other day, and she and her guest, some guy named Nate Tice, did an activity where they conducted a QB draft based on who they would want to have for the next five years. Mina ended up taking Drew with the 20th pick, I believe. Some of the notable take, uh, quarterbacks taken before him were Sam Darnold, Kirk Cousins, who actually went like seventh or eighth, Ryan Tannehill, and in my opinion, the most egregious, Derek Carr. For the most part, the other quarterbacks taken ahead of him were justifiable, but I could just not figure out those four. I was pleasantly surprised that Drew went before the likes of Dwayne Haskins, Daniel Jones, Josh Allen, and Gardner Minshew, though. Overall, Mina praised Drew's athleticism and touch and did see improvement from him throughout the year, but mentioned that he didn't do much past his first read. She admitted to having really only watched film of the Texans and Lions game, but said that a little bit of the Chargers game she watched, he sucked and looked terrible. That makes no sense. Her guest, Nate Tice, also mentioned that he holds the ball funky with his pointer finger, almost at the tip of the ball. That's not really something I noticed while watching him. And I feel like that's how a lot of people hold the ball. Is that something you guys notice? Sorry for the long comment. That's two in a row for me now. I promise I'll be better. Hope all your families are staying happy and healthy. That's I've, really interesting because I've, I've never noticed that with Drew Locke where he puts his finger on the ball like that. And I've been watching doesn't. him now for, for five seasons. Yeah, That's, I, it's really fascinating. The things that we notice about players, we are, sometimes we all see something different. That's, that's something I may uh, have to go back and kind of take a look at, but that's, that's interesting. That being said, it certainly doesn't really affect, doesn't really affect his throwing style. And uh, sometimes when a guy has a little bit of funkiness in the mechanics, but they still do a good job and Drew Locke is becoming more accurate, you just say roll with it. No one tried to change Phil Rivers' style, and it was a good thing that they didn't. I mean, he, he definitely has his finger towards the end of the ball, but most quarterbacks do. He just he, – the way that phrase makes it sound like he puts a finger, like, on the point, which he definitely doesn't do. Yeah, and it doesn't matter because it's a perfect spiral. It's as fast as it needs to be. He's got the arm power, so it doesn't affect the final product, so I don't care. There's another thing here. It, according to Drew Laka, Mina Kimes said that the little bit of the Chargers game she watched that he, quote, sucked and looked terrible, unquote. Well, did she not watch the first quarter? Maybe the little bit that she watched was the second half. Right. I mean, when, perhaps. When, he's, when he was being held back. Uh-huh. And, yeah, and that also, when you're talking about focusing on first read stuff, some of that is also kind of constraining him a little bit and and not wanting to put too much on his plate and – one reason why you wanted to maybe do some more complex things is to start learning more about him. And that's why, again, this year, I think he can show a lot of progress, but there are going to be some bumpy moments as part of the transition. That's okay. But maybe if we'd seen him kind of go through more progressions and get beyond the first read, uh, then he might be a few steps farther down, even though his performance in those games might not have been quite – quite as good statistically it might have helped to learn more about him yeah also I've since talked to people in the organization who have said that that the offensive staff was not comfortable having Drew Locke as their quarterback that week 
and they were they felt their hand was a little bit forced, and so they were uh, gun shy uh, in calling plays then that game because they just they did they didn't feel like they knew what they were going to get quite yet with Drew. They loved the way he had come out and practiced after he came back, but they kind of were hoping he would get uh, another week or two of preparation. So uh, for better or for worse, in my opinion, it was for worse. They were trying to be very conservative with the Drew and, and then, you know, thankfully the Broncos were still able to pull out the win for Drew's sake because he played really well in the moments that they let him play. Yeah. But without a doubt, it, it was unfortunate for Drew. Next one coming in from the other Ryan TJIF folks. Did you get the L in there? Says folks. I listened mm-hmm. folks. I listened to Ian Rappaport's interview with Melvin Gordon earlier this week and was particularly interested about Gordon's comments concerning inside zone runs and running play, running plays called from the shotgun. I decided to dig deeper into some play counts. In 2019, the Chargers called 74% of their running plays from under center and 22 from the shotgun. The Giants with Pat Shermer called 74 of their running plays from under center and 20% from the shotgun. Those numbers closely mirrored each other. Unfortunately, the most recent breakdown of running play types that I could find come from the 2017 season. That year, Shimmer was the Vikings offensive coordinator. Minnesota did, in fact, run a lot of inside zone that season with 187 inside, inside zone rushes, 107 outside zone runs, three traps, nine counters, 36 powers, and 102 gap schemed runs. That season, the Chargers only ran 73 inside zone runs, 139 outside zones, 22 traps, 11 counters, 33 powers, and 71 gap schemed runs. Mike Munchak, who was Pittsburgh's offensive line coach that season, called 128 inside zone runs, with Mike Shula as Carolina's offensive coordinator calling 110 inside (laughs) zone rushes. Munchak and Shula's squads called 96 and 87 outside zone runs, respectively. As we all know, Munchak also loves the the, the pin and pull counter runs, which I think that Shermer will incorporate more than into the running game in Denver now that he is paired with Munchak. What does all of this mean? I think Gordon has provided us some insightful int- or some useful intel into what the Broncos brass and coaching staff told him upon signing, as Mason Zach alluded to in yesterday's podcast. The numbers also collaborate much of Gordon's concerns about the Chargers' lack of inside running, which he excelled at with the Badgers and Denver's offensive coaching staff has the, has the penchant for calling previously. Thanks for enduring my long comment. Have a wonderful weekend. My boys, DNV Army salute. Well, I think it's interesting. You talk about the Chargers' lack of inside running. Some of it's probably play calling. Some of it was also probably a perceived weakness on the interior of the offensive line. And so now it's got me thinking, okay, the Broncos have invested heavily in the interior of the offensive line over the last 14 months. You've got Graham Glasgow. You expect good things from Dalton Reisner. You expect good things from Lloyd Cushenberry as well. You've got the personnel to do some really, to, to do some terrific things running to the inside. If Juwan, especially if Juwan James can stay healthy there at tackle and Garrett Bowles can at least figure things out at a reasonable level, yeah. they can do some things that the Chargers, when Melvin Gordon got there, couldn't do up front. Absolutely, um, the, you know this Broncos team should be running the ball between inside uh, based off of how dominant that, that inside could be. If Lloyd Cushenberry is who we think he is. Sir James radio day 30 of the Jersey challenge today. We're doing Mesa's Tampa Bay Gronkineers. This one I'm really torn between on a couple players more than just Brady or Gronk. The bucks have a squad. I'm going to go with one of our own and Shaq Barrett. 
just a good guy and I understand the business of him leaving, but man, I wish you were still in Denver. Be safe and have a great weekend, everyone. Wow. I mean, so many great choices on the Bucks. I know who Zach's choosing. Shaq Barrett. Oh! <laughs> CSU, go Rams, baby! Oh, okay. <laughs> Me, I'm I, I, very happy choosing Shaq Barrett, Ali Marpet on the offensive line, and, of course, Chris Godwin or Mike Evans. You can't go wrong with either of those guys. The, I'll probably go with Godwin for one reason in particular, and it is this. He was the next receiver taken after Carlos Henderson in the 2017 draft. Uh, and that yeah, makes that's... you like him more? <laughs> it, just, it, it just reminds me of that draft and how much of a mess it was for the Broncos and how painful it was for, for them because you had Chris Godwin being the next receiver taken after Carlos Henderson. You had Ryan Ramchek, the next tackle taken after Garrett Foles. And, of course, George Kittle, the next tight end taken after Jake Budd. If you take it was those, the, what three, might have been draft. Oh my gosh! You're talking about a powerhouse right now. <laughs> yes, you are. Yeah. Um. So I obviously would never wear the jersey of someone who went to CSU. Um. <laughs> it, despite as much as I love Shaq Barrett, I just couldn't bring myself to do that. Uh. So I'm gonna go with a different Colorado product, center Ryan Jensen. Ooh. Mm. Great CSU first Pueblo. name. CSU Pueblo. Not quite CSU Fort Collins. So that's, that's okay. CSU yes. Pueblo is fine. CSU Fort Collins is a problem. The Thunderwolves, is that their name? Correct. Yeah, that's badass. Um, I'm going with Ryan Jensen, Colorado kid. You know, great story, making it all the way to the NFL and becoming one of the highest paid centers in the league. He's okay. one of Matt McChesney's guys too. Yep. Someone has to have a TB12 jersey, so I'll take that one. Why would anyone want a jersey of a guy who might play for a couple of years and isn't going to play good anyway? That's probably what a lot of people thought about Peyton. Why would you want an 18 orange jersey? He's just going to be there a couple of years with a bad neck and not play well anyway. He was like 36. <laughs> we'll be talking about the same thing in a couple of years with, with Aaron Rodgers. So be, he's only 42. No, no. Yeah, uh, abs right. watch is bad abs watch 22 hey broncos folk just going to let you guys know again i'm abs watch 22 it's what pops up over and over on discord it oh, oh. on discord it's buan samdi 48 but you can just call me spencer okay so you got abs watch 22 buan samdi 48 <laughs> or it's just spencer <laughs> you can go Not with buan samdi or spencer <laughs> <laughs> Okay, getting right at it. If Bowles, Reisner, Cushenberry, Glasgow, and James all stay healthy for however long the season is, do you think he can be around the 13th to 18th best NFL O-line to get Locke to do enough what he needs to do? Um, I'm just going to answer that right away. No, I think it can be higher than that. Uh, I think it could be a top 10 offensive line in the NFL if all of those guys are healthy. And it should be. You have huge investments just outside of Bowles as well. He says, RK did go back to watch Bulls and Locks Fives games, and Bulls only let five total sacks happen. Not in those games. He only let one total sack happen in those games. Uh, although I know that's probably a line stat. I'll have to go back and see how many penalties were taken. Also, different question. The Seahawks, Eagles, and Jets are pursuing Devontae Freeman. 
The Eagles and Seahawks make sense, but what the heck are the Jets doing going after Freeman when you already have Bell and Gore, the ageless wonder? Adam Gase, you and your crazy eyes make no sense. I will end this by saying last week uh, to ask Mace to do the great Cornholio impression after all the bum talk gave me a very hearty chuckle, and it was my first clutch comment since being at DNVR. Won't ask Mace to do it every week, but I am going to keep you on your toes. Also, like Mace, it. I'm with you. Fruity beers always over IPAs every day. Maybe not every day. But, hey, it's good when a beer doesn't taste like a beer. Guys, uh, appreciate another week with you. I just started my first full-time job in the middle of a pandemic. So I hope everyone out there as DNVR fans and writers are doing well, keeping he healthy and staying safe. Love you all. Cannot wait to fly in and have a drink with you at the bar. Go DNVR and go Broncos. And the great thing about Breck Brew is you've got a variety of types of beers and you can satisfy that urge for the fruity beer because you've got the strawberry sky and you've got the resolution as well. And yeah. uh, Lindsay Claus just brought me uh, strawberry skies and hot peaks so I can make RK specials. Oh, nice. man, that sounds delicious. And congratulations, Avs Watch 22. Uh, Blom, Samdi, and Spencer on the first full-time job. Yeah, huge. Way to go. Awesome. Drew for MVP. Hey, guys, hope you had an awesome week because of your great pods. I definitely had one. I have two short questions. One, what's your opinion on Gus Johnson as an NFL comment commentator? I think he brought so many emotions to the game. For example, the pass from Orton to Stokely. Stokely, wow! To a score late. To score late in the Bengals in, against in 2009, if you can remember, just pure entertainment to guys like Joe Buck, in my opinion. And I would like to know what was your favorite college game you visited while you were still in college. If you already answered these questions in the past, sorry. Stay healthy. You're the best. Wow. Okay. First of all, I loved Gus Johnson as an NFL commentator, but he's more suited for the college game. Um, his emotions match those of the college game, in my opinion. Uh, so I love him on college. But he's desperately missed in the NCAA tournament. And when he went to Fox, that meant he was off March Madness. And it's just not – it just doesn't have the same oomph without Gus Johnson there, without the, the, the screams that uh, you can't really put into words. Oh, yeah. I think it's such a bummer that – because, Ryan, what you said is true about the emotions being more in college ball. I, I think that's such a bummer that it can't be in both, but it, it is more of a college ball thing. It is, but at the, the same NFL's time, he had some – yeah, he had some like fun that. calls. Like, he, he, I think he got in a little bit of trouble from the, for this, but remember the Chris Johnson call? Getting away from the cop speed. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. They actually used that in Madden uh, when – I think Gus Johnson was the, the voice of Madden for one year, and mm -hmm. they used that call in Madden. So he must have not gotten in too much trouble for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Gus is a national treasure. As for his question, what's your favorite college game uh, we went to while we were in college? Um, the first one that comes to my mind is the game I've talked about a couple times uh, against, I believe it was Matt Stafford and A.J. Green. Um, it might have been one, one quarterback after Stafford. I can't remember off the top of my head. But I think it was Matt Stafford and A.J. Green uh, and Georgia. And the Buffs pulled it off. And the one thing that I really love about that memory is it was my freshman year. And I feel like, you know, the the 
bulk of your college experience happens in that freshman year when you're really truly out on your own for the first time. Uh, so that that's a really fond memory for me, being with all my friends in the stands for that one, charging the field, all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah that, that's yeah. awesome. Uh, mine is, you know, the Pios were undefeated when <laughs> I was there, so I, I just got to go with them all. What about a CSU game? Did they have any good ones? <laughs> Um, yeah, I guess some ones in Denver were were uh, fun tailgates. Right, well, and also he, the, and also, Drew for MVP didn't spe- specify a sport. So I mean, you could have a hockey game. That's true. I could, I could, I could draw back to a CC game. Those were always rowdy. I, yeah, I would say because for me, when when I went to Mizzou, they were much better in basketball than football. When I went to USF, the football team had just started. And so it was memorable to go to the first USF football game, but it was against a, a no-name Kentucky Wesleyan program, and they won 80-3. to So, you know, my memories are more from, uh, from basketball games. Two of them jump out in particular. One was when I was at Mizzou actually getting the chance to travel to uh, Lawrence, Kansas, and go to Allen Fieldhouse and see a Mizzou KU game. Allen Fieldhouse should be on every American sports fan's bucket list as a place to watch a game. Absolutely incredible. You can feel the history of the sport seeping through the walls. Of course, James Naismith is himself the founder of basketball is buried right there on the KU campus. So it's, it's sort of a pilgrimage to go to Allen Fieldhouse. And at USF, they had a game they played when I was there against Florida State. And it was at the time Florida State was pretty good in basketball. They came in ranked and the place was, was hopping and USF got a narrow win and it just absolutely electric in the uh, then Sundome, now known as the Yingling Center at the time. And uh, those are the games that jump out to me. College basketball, a college basketball game in a packed stadium when your team wins mm. is some of the best atmosphere you can get. You know, a 10,000-seat stadium packed full of people losing their minds yes. hits a different level than really any other sporting event really can. That's it's, that's a great point. And I, me personally, I mean, not that college football isn't good. I'm more partial to college basketball as a, as a college sport than football. And uh, for me, losing March Madness this year, that of all that we've lost to this point in sports, losing March Madness to me was the hardest thing. Same. The only solace I took was that the Buffs were going to embarrass themselves on a six-game losing streak or whatever the hell it was. <laughs> and I didn't really want to have to watch that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, for some reason, the Buffs reminded me of a team. I think it was a NC State that back in like '05 that just they came into the tournament on a on a skittle, kind of like that, and they end up going to the Sweet 16. So I don't know. I just I had a weird feeling about the Buffs that if that they were gonna get back together, Tad Boyle was gonna you know rally the troops and that they were gonna shock the world in the tournament. Can't Gosh. tell you why. Just had that feeling. I couldn't have a more opposite feeling. <laughs> I thought they were going to go play some team. They were going to end up being like an 8-9 game, and the 9 seed was going to beat them by like 35 points, and there wouldn't have been a moment to cheer in the entire game. <laughs> well, at least you didn't have to live that nightmare. It's very true. True Champ Fan 24 says, Fellas, I downloaded WGT and tried to join the DNVR club, but it won't allow me. Is it too full or is the problem on my end? I did notice it said 250 out of 250 members. Hmm. Also, I know the DNVR Madden League is full on up on Xbox, but maybe if we had enough people, we could get a B League started. 
So first of all, hell of a flex on our part that it only took us a couple weeks to max out the amount of people it will allow you to have in a country club on WGT. Uh, what we're doing is we're creating DNVR2, um, and we're basically going to mirror everything that happens at DNVR1. It's not going to be any different other than the fact that when you, when you play in a tournament, you'll be playing against the people in DNVR2, but your score will be paired up against people in DNVR1 for the actual winners of the tournament. So uh, keep an eye out for that. It should actually already be up. So if you want to search on there, DNVR2 in, this, in the country clubs, you can join that one. Uh, and you'll and we'll, we'll set the tournaments the exact same and all that stuff and you'll have a chance to play but yeah uh, I have to imagine WG, WGT has noticed uh, that uh, over uh, interaction their their product isn't even uh, prepared to handle our community which is pretty amazing <laughs> it's so freaking cool and I'm so glad that you guys are joining in because it's such a fun game and as for the DNVR Madden League I actually asked Timmy this the other day he said there were nine people on the waiting list uh, for the Madden League. So I assume as that gets bigger and bigger and bigger, uh, you could easily start a B League. I don't know if I would want to put it on Timmy to have to be the commissioner of that because he already puts so much work into the first league. Uh, but maybe he can, you know, get all those people's emails together if we get up closer, maybe into the 20s or so, where you can actually have a legit league there. Um, if you want to email Timmy, it's Timmy from Sweden at gmail.com. Yeah, I saw Joe Biden was starting to tap uh, vice presidential nominees right now. Maybe Timmy needs to start tapping co-commissioners for that second league right now. Well, he has two co-commissioners in our current league because, of course, Timmy lives on a different schedule than the rest of us, uh, being all the way out there in, in Sweden. So he has two uh, American-based co-commissioners that handle things while he's asleep. Um, so he needs so, to he needs to start tapping both of those. See which one's the best. Yeah, he maybe he can promote Caleb <laughs> or Brian to uh, commissioner of of Liga B, if you will. Got uh, emails from both of them. I bet you did. <laughs> um, <laughs> final question here is for Mace. Count Locula chiming in. Worst investment: hot tubs or free agent tackles? Love the count. Why we is did. a hot tub a bad investment? <laughs> yeah, we don't want to go with a uh, speedboat. What's, why is that a bad investment? Oh, you know, the, the saying is, uh, I, I shouldn't have said speedboat. I should have said boat. The happiest day of, of my life was when I got my boat, and the second happiest day of my life was when I sold my boat. Mm. I wonder why. My, uh, one of my f family friends has a sweet boat, and we have nothing but good times on that thing. But you don't own it. You don't have to maintain it. You just show up and have a great time. Right. You know, maybe there's just like a certain tax bracket you have to be in where you don't you, you can own the boat and also still not have to maintain it. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that 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 I think would be the best scenario. It's it's the maintenance. It's also the fact that you paid all this money for it, so you feel like you have to go out and get on the boat, and so all of a sudden you're not doing other things because you're on the boat. Fair enough. So. Fair enough. This boat, I mean, it's like it's a you can wake surf on it. I don't know if you guys have ever wake surfed, but wow. that is one of the most fun things you could do, in my opinion. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd like to tubs. be at the beach right now, but not necessarily on a boat. Hot tubs are interesting. I person a lot of people love hot tubs. I actually personally always think that the hot tub sounds better in principle than it is actually when you get into it. 
But why so? That's a, like that's quite hot. a hot take. I shouldn't say I don't like being hot. I like being hot from the air. I don't know, like the the way it makes me feel when it like warms up my body temperature. I don't like. I don't really love it. What wow, I hate is like being Scrooge. Yeah. See, what I hate, like if you, if there's a hot tub and there's a pool, and sometimes my daughter will want to get in the hot tub for a few minutes and get back in the pool, and I hate that because I get in the hot tub and I get all warmed up, and then I get in the pool and it's, and you jump in and it's cold. I don't want that sensation. Yeah. So I actually, I'll tell her, nope, I'm staying here in the pool. You can go in the hot tub, but I, I don't <laughs> want the back and forth. Yeah, we used to do. My parents have a hot tub and a pool. We used to do that. Um, but we would also do the, when it's snowing, you go do a 10 second snow angel on, in the snow and then jump back into the hot tub. Oh, 10 seconds. That sounds brutal. Yeah. And then of course, boys being boys, we just started betting like who can go, who can stay the longest in the snow. Yep. Um, so then it went from 10 to 20 to 30 to multiple <laughs> minutes. Oh, gosh. People's lips turning blue. Oh, my gosh. I would, Brian, it sounds like you would choose a pool over a hot tub. Yeah, big pool guy. Um, oh, you know, a pool, a it, you know, you can make like a full day commitment to a pool. Like yes. you could say, like, I'm going to lounge by the pool, pull out a book, hop in when it gets hot, come out when it cools down, throw on some tunes have a dark and stormy or a margarita like that you know you can't make a full day commitment to a hot tub you got about 30 minutes for a hot tub yeah but it's a more enjoyable 30 minutes than when i'm in the pool going well yeah that's maybe because you have zero body fat <laughs> so you know you need to get more like a seal zach back on the blubber so you don't get cold in the water just wear a wetsuit into the pool yeah <laughs> and a bonus is you don't get sunburned yeah but it won't help my tan <laughs> i guess i won't get a farmer's tan it's true yeah no i mean i don't dislike hot tubs i just always end up being like slightly uncomfortable maybe when i get out i feel like my blood vessels are trying to like work extra hard i don't know it's just a little well, weird i don't i don't dislike a hot tub but i just don't love it don't they tell you on a hot tub you can't stay in for more than 30 minutes anyway? Yeah, and that's yeah. what they say, but you get, you know, you get nice and relaxed in there, especially if you're sore. I will give it that. If you're sore, a hot tub feels amazing. Oh, man, um, a mm. cold beer in a hot tub. Mm. Yeah, so you start to get relaxed in there, and then all of a sudden you realize you've been in there for 45 minutes and, like, your body is half cooked. <laughs> you're like chicken that you, you tried to defrost in the, uh, in the microwave. <laughs> And then, yeah, instead of uh, your skin getting like nice and crispy like a chicken skin, it goes the opposite and it gets nice and not nice, but disgusting and soft. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I'm definitely on team pool in this argument. Oh, and what's it do to your bum? Hmm. Makes it a granny bum. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh my God! All right, that's our cue to get out. On that note, <laughs> Davidson's has two locations: one in Centennial, one in Highlands Ranch. Locally owned, they've got everything out there. Uh, and if you don't have a Lindsay Claus who personally delivers you Breck brews, well, you can just call up Davidson's and they'll play that role for you. They'll deliver Breck brews right to your house. Maybe some bourbon as well for a nice, uh, uh, you know, camping weekend. Maybe you're gonna have some bourbon by the fire. I don't know what you're doing this weekend, but make sure you hit up Davidson's. You can go in, you can have them deliver, you can do the curbside pickup, whatever you feel most comfortable with. Hit up Davidson's and get that stuff sent right to you. All right, that's going to wrap it up for us. 
on today's edition and this week of the DNVR Broncos podcast. We'll be back with you on Monday.